Well, good morning. I'm excited to be continuing our series, The Gospel According to John. Pastor Harold will be back up here next week, but I'm excited to look at chapter 6 with you this morning. That's uh, page 1065 in the Bibles there on the rows. And before we begin, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Uh, Lord, I thank you for bringing us here safely this morning. Lord, uh, just please uh, help all of our hearts to be open and receptive to the message that you have for us this morning, Lord, in your name. Amen. So as we start this morning, let's talk about trends, that word trends or trendy. Now, when I say that, some of you, a certain age group and demographic, may think social media like TikTok. Others of you, I say that word and you hated that I even brought that up. But if you think of trends there, there's videos that become popular for a short time period, sometimes a little longer, and everybody jumps in on that trend. Maybe you think of trendy things like uh, some older social medias, uh, like going back to Vine or even MySpace. Or maybe you think of something, we'll get away from social media here. How about this? I've got a picture of one right here. Anybody know what that is? A Skechers Shape Up, right? And the, their marketing promise, these were all the craze. My mom had a pair. I think everybody's mom had a pair of these because they promised if you wore them, you would be healthy. And then they got sued a little while later for false advertising because just a pair of shoes, no matter how comfortable, cannot make you healthy if you do nothing else other than wear them. So they were popular for a while, as are some of these other trends, and we could talk about things that get popular for a short time period, and then months, weeks, or days later, they lose their popularity and their following. And today, as we continue our series in the Gospel of John, we're going to kind of talk about this same idea. We're going to look at those that followed Jesus. This chapter is all about this crowd of people that followed the Lord. All for different reasons, some of them for his fame, his power, his miracles, some of them just for food, some of them for the right reasons. And you look back, ending in chapter 5 last week, you started to see this same thought, and an undetermined amount of time goes by. Some people believe six months to a year, some people shorter. We're not sure the exact amount of time. But what we do know is during that time, Jesus was finishing the miracles he did in the last chapter, and he was out healing people, healing the sick, performing more miracles. And then we get to verse 2 of chapter 6, and we read this. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. So we see a large crowd forms, and they begin to follow Jesus. Now they were following him because of what he was evidently doing, the signs, the miracles he was performing, healing people of the sick. And we don't know much about this crowd, right? We know the 12 disciples, we know their names, we've heard about them, we know what they do, but we don't know really anything about this crowd. Later on, we'll find out there's a lot of them, over 5,000, but that's about all we know. Now, you would think for people that are following Jesus, we would know a lot about them, right? We would know their names, what they were doing, how they were serving him, but we don't know any of that. And why is that? Well, because look at the end of the chapter. Jump all the way to the end of chapter 6 to verses 66 and 67. The Bible says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew 
and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Many of those who were disciples, followers of Jesus, abandoned him. They left him in the span of 60 verses or so. They went from a giant crowd following him to 12. And why does that happen? How can that possibly happen? How does somebody follow Jesus and then leave shortly thereafter? Maybe you're asking, can that happen to me or somebody I know? And let me ask it with this question here. Why am I following the Lord? This is a question we'll examine this morning as we look at chapter 6 and we'll ask ourselves, why am I following the Lord? Why am I following God? And to get the answer to that question, we're going to examine these followers in this passage and see why they were following Christ. And we'll see if there's any similarities or differences to our life and if we gain any answers to why they left. So the first question we'll ask of these followers or of ourselves is we'll say, is the Lord just an experiment in your life? Is Jesus just an experiment in your life? Verse 66, we'll read it again. The Bible tells us as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And we'll get to the the reason why they withdrew in a moment, but we see a large amount of them withdrew. They weren't walking with Jesus. They went their own way back to where they came from. The language here indicates this abandonment was decisive. It was final. They made up their mind that they weren't going to follow Jesus anymore. And mind you, this wasn't just people that showed up one time. During chapter 6 here, this was a fanatical group of followers. Uh, In a, a few moments, we see some miracles Jesus does. In one of them, he walks on water to his disciples who were out in a boat and crosses the lake. And these people wanting to see Jesus, they walked around the lake all the way there to get to him, to meet him on the other side. This crowd was pretty into it for just a brief moment. But many of those there that abandoned their faith, they approached their faith in the beginning for the wrong reasons. Uh, they were almost coming there just for a a get-rich-quick or a get-spiritual-quick kind of scheme. You know, we see those get-rich-quick schemes all over in our country, right? The promises of fads that come up and promise you extreme wealth really quickly for no work. Uh, Me and my wife were watching a documentary. We like documentaries on those sorts of things. And one was on a company called LuLaRoe. They sell leggings, and they promised... If you give them all of your money and buy their product and sell them, you'll make tons of money and be rich beyond your wildest imaginations. And it happened for a few people, but there were many stories of people that lost everything. They couldn't find it. The the dream wasn't true of doing hardly any work and making millions of dollars. But you see, that's what the people here in this passage are almost looking for with Jesus. They're looking for just a quick, easy, what they can get from it. They're not looking for the right reasons. We'll see a couple reasons that they were looking for, and the first one is the people were interested in his power. They were interested in his power. Uh, The many here um, that we see, verse 2, we'll go back there, they just wanted to see what he was doing. 
The large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. You look back to chapter 5 last week and we saw him uh, healing sick people, doing miracles. He continued to do it, some that weren't recorded. And so they just want to see what Jesus is doing. They want to see what maybe they could get from it as well. They didn't have the right intentions. They were more interested in Jesus' miracles and what he was doing here on the earth rather than the relationship that he was offering for them. But you know, the interesting thing is, at the end of this passage, and we'll get to it in a moment, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the Bible tells us that Jesus knew from the beginning who was going to follow him and who was going to leave. And yet right here, at the beginning, he already knows that this crowd is going to leave. And yet, he still takes the time to eventually feed them, to heal their sick, to show compassion on them. And when I was studying that this week, that was challenging, right? That hit like a a ton of bricks, right? Do we take time to care about people, to walk with them, reach out with them, care for them, even if their motivations aren't right, or even if we know we won't get anything in return? Because Jesus gave us that example right here. He did that for these people that he knew by the end of these events, we're going to be gone. And to me, that was an amazing, challenging uh, example set by Jesus for us as well. Because these people, they just wanted a sign. They wanted the next miracle. They wanted the next uh, thing, some razzle-dazzle, something exciting. And Jesus was trying to let them know he doesn't appeal to the lost people that way. Look at Luke eleven twenty nine. Jesus confronted this this experimental disciple, he said, as the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is talking about the story of Jonah in the Bible when he went to Nineveh to uh, share the gospel with them as well. And here Jesus is saying, hey, there's not going to be another sign. Jesus isn't here just to do tricks and showboat and keep our attention The Christian life isn't about him amusing us, but rather he's not trying to pay, you know, get their attention with tricks and and things like that. The warning for us is if you're only following Jesus for his power, for what he can do for you, then you may be headed out the door like these followers of Jesus as well. Then there was a whole nother group of people. You know, some of them were interested in miracles, what they could get, the power Jesus had. And then we see this other group that was just interested in the food Jesus offered to people. Uh, The next group, they weren't interested in the miracles, the power, all that stuff. They just wanted a meal. Uh, Look at verse 26. This is what Jesus says to them. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, right before this, as you're reading through John, you see Jesus do another miracle and feed over 5,000 people. The Bible just counts 5,000, just the men that were there. There was uh, probably wives, children as well. So we're talking a lot of people, right? They had no food. Jesus looked at one of his disciples, Philip, and said, how are we going to feed these people? And Philip was like, hey, we don't have the money for this. Like, we're not going to feed them. That's how we're going to do it. And then another disciple finds a small child who had a lunch that his mom prepared for him, sent him with a sack lunch. She was prepared. 
And it was five loaves and two fishes. Now, not big loaves of bread and, and you know, the kind of fish that we catch when we go fishing, you know, the big ones, like this, this big. Um, not those fish. These were small ones. It was enough for him. And they said, all right, Jesus, that's the food we got for 5,000 people. And Jesus made it work. He fed all of them, so much so that there was 12 baskets of leftover food. He did a miracle here, and then he looks at those people and he read, he challenged them and said what we just read in verse 26 and said, all you're worried about is getting fed. You're here to get food. The people were motivated by that superficial desire for food rather than to understand the spiritual significance of why Jesus was there. They were worried about their next meal. And you read in verse 27, the next verse, Jesus says, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Jesus challenges them that they should be focused on the bread of life. He begins talking about this over the next several verses, and he tells them, Don't worry about your next meal that'll perish, but worry about about spiritual food, about things that will last. Now, Jesus isn't saying don't eat, right? Thankfully, we can eat, we should eat, we need to to live. That's a good thing. But Jesus is saying our life's goal. These people's whole reason they were there following him was so they could get a free meal. So much so that in the verses to follow, they wanted to forcibly make Jesus king because then they knew all their needs would be met. If Jesus was king, they would have food. That was their whole motivation behind it. Rather than literal eternal life with Jesus, they just wanted their meals taken care of here. And our question is, are we focused on the material, the things we have here? It's important to eat, but it's more important the spiritual work that Jesus wants to do in our lives and that he's called us to do. Jesus goes on in this passage and challenges the people to be focused on the the bread of life himself. And if we're more focused on physical food than on our relationship with Jesus, we could be on our way to abandoning the Lord. So our first question there that we looked at was, is the Lord just an experiment in your life? The next one is, do you enjoy Jesus in your life? So this is a long chapter here, right? There's 71 verses. It would probably take me all day if we just read all 71 up here. And the passage is long because there's two miracles. We saw feeding of the 5,000. Then we see Jesus walk across water to Capernaum. Then we see him talking to the Jews and the followers about the bread of life. And then we see him in Capernaum in the synagogue. And Jesus is sharing a message with the people there. And it's a very direct and a very right to the point message. And it's summed up in verse 53. Look at what Jesus says. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. And so Jesus is direct here. Now his point was an analogy. He, he wasn't trying to literally say we eat Christ's flesh or we drink his blood. But just like bread, food is necessary for life here on earth. On the physical side of things, we need spiritual food to grow spiritually. 
Jesus' death as payment for our sins is necessary for spiritual life. And so the first thing Jesus here challenges them with is do you enjoy his word? Now look at verse 60. We see Jesus gives this challenging truth and this is the followers' response to that. They say, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? This is the followers' response. Now, not just Jesus' 12 disciples, but we've still got the big group of everybody. They haven't left quite yet. And they say, this is challenging. We, we don't understand it. And not when they say it's hard to hear. They don't mean like Jesus was talking quietly. They couldn't hear it, right? They mean more so they don't really want to hear it. It's a challenging thought, and they don't want to understand it. It's a stumbling block to what they want to believe. It's like we hear hard things in our life as well. Maybe review at work with your boss. They give constructive criticism of how you can do better at your job, and we don't always want to hear it because it's hard, right? But this was a hard statement for them to hear. But they weren't really listening to Jesus. They were trying to hear him literally when he was trying to speak in an analogy over and over again. He's trying to get them to understand the truth, and they weren't really listening. And we do this too when we hear things. We do this too when we hear God's word. Uh, We hear what we want to hear from it and kind of tune out the hard parts sometimes, right? Uh, Or we just try to look at it and get our own thoughts from it rather than get what God wants us to get out of it. And in verse 61, Jesus confronts the disciples again here. Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? Jesus knew what they were thinking. They're sitting there thinking they're getting away with it because they're not saying everything out loud, right? But they forgot that Jesus knew what they were thinking. He calls them out. Imagine that, Jesus calling you out as you hear something challenging in the Bible and think, I don't really like that. I don't want to do that. And Jesus says, why? Is is this a hard thing for you? Imagine if Pastor Harold's back up here speaking and he's, he's speaking on something really challenging, right? And I'm sitting there, I don't really like it. And he says, goes, Jason, you don't really like it? You're going to grumble and complain about that? In front of everybody, right? That would be not fun at all, right? <clears throat> but that's what happened here to them. Jesus knew they were grumbling, complaining. And if you look back uh, as Jesus was challenging the same thought to the Jews, uh, in verse 41, we won't take the, the time to read it now, but as you read through John, hopefully as you do through the series, you'll see this, that the Jews murmur, in the same way when they hear it. They don't like what Jesus is talking about. They're complaining about it. And that idea of grumbling and complaining, it mirrors what the Israelites did in the Old Testament. Remember when they were in the wilderness, they had no food, and they're like, Moses, you brought us here to die? And then God miraculously brings manna down from heaven. He gives them food out of nowhere, and then they complain about it because they didn't like the kind of food that he gave them. It's kind of like, you know, a child like that, right? When they're just not thankful for what they have, but they should be thankful because they got to eat. The same thing here, the disciples. Jesus is challenging them with something and they're grumbling and complaining about it. You know, it reminds me of, for my mom, your attitude, how your attitude was towards her was like the biggest thing that could get uh, my siblings in trouble, not me, um, but just my siblings. And I remember one day mom was telling us something and I don't know what it was, But my brother, sister, and I were there, and my sister looked at my mom and rolled her eyes real big and sighed. 
Ooh, yeah, it did not go well. I grabbed my brother and we ran to the basement and hid and left my sister to her own devices with my mom for that. But that attitude was a big deal. Grumbling, complaining. Uh, My mom did not like that at all. And that's the same idea here. Jesus is proclaiming a hard truth. And the Jews and the followers didn't really like it. But did they accept it with a smile and move on? No, they grumbled and complained about it. Psalms 119.140 gives what our response should be to God's word. It says, your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. So how do you respond when you hear God's word? Do you enjoy it? Do we enjoy reading and hearing God's word? How about Jesus' work in our life? It's the next one you see in the passage, verses 63 through 66. It goes along with what we've heard. When we hear God's word, it challenges us, and then God works in us. Jesus is telling them here, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. And as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So we see here that if we enjoy Jesus and we enjoy his word, we should enjoy his work in our lives as well. And immediately following these statements, people leave. They didn't want to hear about Jesus' work in them. And Jesus explains that his work is a work of grace. It's, it's, it's a work um, not dependent on anything we can do or anything we can offer, but it's a work of grace. And the more Jesus works in us, the more dependent we become on him. And you know, that's challenging because Jesus will take us from things that make us dependent on ourselves to get us to where we need to be, to be dependent on him. And that's one that I've seen in my own life and in lives of those close to me. But Jesus, drawing them away, sometimes it might be painful to get us away from the things that keep us from depending on him. And you'll see, right as Jesus shares that point with them, they leave. And they do that because that's a challenging thought, right? They wanted the easiness. They wanted the food, the miracles. They didn't want the work. They didn't want the hardship that comes from it. The Spirit gives life. God does the work. He didn't do it because they were worth something or because uh, uh, so they could profit and gain anything. He did it. And yet these people still abandoned him because they didn't want to go through the hardship of Christ working on their life. The question is, do we enjoy Jesus working in our lives? Sometimes it might be hard. Sometimes it might be challenging. But do we enjoy where it gets us? You know, the Bible right there also tells us that awesome truth that God knew who was going to leave before time began. He knew who was going to be there. And that's the amazing truth because he still cared about the people even though they were going to leave. He still, he could have said, you know what, I'm not even going to waste my breath sharing this thought with you because I know you'd leave anyways. He still takes the time to share it with them, to let them know who he is and that he wants to work in their life. You know, those who experience and allow Jesus to work in their life will continue to follow him. And those who don't often 
fall away. Just like those we saw in this passage. And this isn't an easy thing, but it should be something we take joy in. It might be It might be problematic and hard while it's happening. There might be pain that comes with it, but we know that the end product is God working us to make us more like how he wants us to be. That's what the end product is, and that should excite us. Are we grateful or do we grumble when God works in our life and makes changes to make us more like him? Do we enjoy Jesus in our life? And the last one here is Jesus essential in your life. Look at verse 67. Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? So verse 66, the crowd left. All those people that were there, they're gone, and we have Jesus and his twelve disciples. That's all that's left from the over 5,000 that were there at the beginning. This is the culmination of the passage, and Jesus says, all right, so what's it going to be? Are you guys leaving too? And notice, it was the disciples' choice. They weren't compelled or forced to be there. They had a choice. And although Jesus knew the choice they were already going to make because he knows everything, we then get Peter's response. And we love Peter, right? We love to give him a hard time. We love to laugh at him when he messes up. But we get Peter's response here, and I love it. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter here uh, tells Jesus that for the disciples that remained, walking away from Jesus was simply not an option. He was essential in their lives. They couldn't go on in their spiritual life without him. And I love that. He was essential in their lives. Is Jesus essential in our lives? Notice a couple things that make Jesus essential in our life so we can see if he is essential in ours. You see, is he the source of truth? For Peter and the Twelve, he was their source of truth. And today, in our world, truth is whatever you want it to be. Truth can be what an individual person wants. That's what society tells us. What's true for you isn't true for me, isn't true for the next person. But here repeated time and time again throughout John, all throughout this book, is the truth that eternal life only comes through Jesus. The difference between a disciple and a deserter is that a disciple finds their truth in Jesus. Peter says, Lord, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter knows that the Lord Jesus is how they're going to get saved. He knows that Jesus wants to give them that relationship, and he knows that only Jesus is those words of truth. Do you believe in Jesus for eternal life? Have you made that choice? If not, we want you to do that today. We want you to know Jesus as your Savior. And if you want to follow God, you must first know Jesus as your Savior. That's the other truth there. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior For Peter and those that remained, walking away from God, uh, from Christ, meant walking away from God's Son. It meant walking away from the one who would ultimately die for their sins, pay that penalty for them. And Peter here is saying this in the perfect tense, meaning he's already believed. He's already accepted. He already has the knowledge of his salvation. Those who were following Jesus, who already walked away, they had some degree of interest in Christ. 
right? They were interested on some level because they were there. But it never came to this point of placing their faith in Christ. It never came to this point of having this relationship with him and having ultimate forgiveness from their sins. The Bible makes it clear that knowing and following Jesus isn't optional for our life, but it's essential for spiritual life. In 1970, as NASA's Apollo 13 mission approached a critical decision, one that placed the lives of the crew in jeopardy, uh, the head flight instructor uttered to mission control, he said this now famous statement, he said, failure is not an option. The difference for a follower of God, a true disciple of God, and, and one that ultimately deserts Jesus is that very mindset. Uh, you have the choice to accept Christ and follow him, will you? Is, that not, is it not an option to not follow Jesus? You know, today we've seen a challenging passage, a, a challenging thought of people that fanatically, crazily followed the Lord at the beginning of the chapter, and they were walking away by the end of it. I think that if those people asked these questions about their life, and the 12 disciples that were left asked these questions about their life, they would get extremely different answers. If you get nothing else from this today, take our takeaways. There are these questions to ask about our own lives. I can't answer them for you. You have to ask them and answer them yourself. Number one, is Jesus an experiment in your life? Are you experimenting with following him or are you experiencing true salvation in following him? The second one is, do you enjoy Jesus in your life? Do you enjoy reading his word, hearing his word, being with those around his word? Or do you grumble and complain when you hear something you don't like? Do you get mad and angry and run away the moment God reveals something in you that needs to change? Or do we change and grow in him? It's our choice. Will we enjoy Jesus in life, no matter what or how hard that might be? And the last one, is Jesus essential in your life? Have you accepted him as your savior? Is Jesus your priority in life? Do you choose to stick with him when things get hard because of salvation that he's brought to you? Or do we just go to Jesus when we have a problem or something hard and let him take care of that and forget about him every other time? Or are we all in because Jesus is essential in life? Uh, in Toby Mac's song, Till the Day I Die, um, and if a Christian rapper says this quote, he says, God is not a crutch. You can use him when you want to. You only look to heaven when you go in through some drama. And when they go in through some problems, that's the only time they call him. I guess I don't understand that life because I'm all in till the day I die. Are we all in for God? And we're going to do something a little different that we don't normally do as we end the service today. I want to give us a chance to respond to these questions we've seen, to respond to that question of why are we following God. In just a moment, we're going to play a video of a song called No Turning Back. And during that time, I just want to give you a moment to let the Holy Spirit work on your life. Maybe uh, you're here and you say, I don't know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're here and you want prayer. You want to come forward and pray. You want to pray at your seat. Whatever it might be, take care of that during this time now. And when we're done, I'll close in prayer. But I want to leave you with this thought. Jesus 
ended this passage towards the end of it with this thought to the disciples. He said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? And I want to leave us with that and say, are we going to decide to follow Jesus today? And play the video.